0: The United Nations, as most of you are aware, is an organization comprised of 193 countries from around the world. The aim of the United Nations is to maintain peace between its member countries, to develop friendly relations among its member countries and to promote social progress throughout its member countries. In order to do this, Each of the member countries must appoint one of their own citizens to represent the needs and desires of their country before the UN. No one but a citizen of the United States can be appointed to represent the United States before the UN. And and similarly, no one but a citizen of Brazil is able to be appointed to represent Brazil before the UN. And the same is true of our human representation before the creator God. We're not gonna be talking about the UN any longer. (laughs) Here's what I mean by that. Because human beings have sinned against God, because human beings have dishonored and disrupted the peace that once existed between God and man, no one but a human being is able to represent human beings before God in order to reconcile them to God and with God. This is why, in Exodus chapter 28, God, in his mercy and his wisdom, established the office of high priest. From among the citizens of Israel, God appointed Moses' brother Aaron to be the first of a long line of high priests that would come from the tribe of Levi. On a daily basis, Aaron and all the high priests who succeeded him would perform various offerings and animal sacrifices to satisfy God's justice on account of their sins. So that would happen on a daily basis. And then once a year, on the very special day of atonement, Aaron... And all the high priests who succeeded him would enter the Holy of Holies behind the tabernacle, temple, curtain. And there, in the Holy of Holies, the high priest would sprinkle the blood of a bull and a goat in front of the mercy seat, which symbolized God's throne atop the Ark of the Covenant. By representing the people before God... And by offering this atoning sacrifice to God, the high priest would obtain God's forgiveness for all the sins that he and the people had committed that year. Now we really need to see the mercy of God that is on display in his establishing of the office of high priest. The ancient Israelites did not deserve to be made right with God. The same is true of you and me. The ancient Israelites did not deserve to be made right with God time and time again. They had hardened their hearts and stiffened their necks in disobedience to God, and yet God in his mercy wanted to forgive them. He desired To forgive them and to make them right with him and to be at peace with them. And thus, he established the office of the Levitical high priest. But the office of high priest and the whole sacrificial system was not without its limitations. Like all human beings, the high priest would eventually die. And the next appointed high priest would be just as beset with his own sins as the previous high priest was. Which meant that a perfect and final and forever high priest was needed from the very outset of the old covenant sacrificial system. And when it came to the sacrifices that the high priest would make the blood of bulls and goats could never fully atone for the people's rebellion against God. In order to fully atone for the people, only the blood of a perfect human being would suffice because the wages of sin is death. In our passage this morning, Hebrews 5, verses 1 through 10, the writer of Hebrews shows his original Jewish audience and us that the high priestly office of Aaron and all those who succeeded him, the high priestly office was intended, from the very outset, it was intended to reveal the need for an even greater high priest and an even greater perfect sacrifice. That would make God's people right with God forever. So I'd invite you to follow along as I read Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ Did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Well, Father in heaven, we can draw near to your throne of grace in prayer because our great and forever high priest has opened that way. We thank you for Jesus and we ask that you'd help us to understand and to believe this word that he may be glorified, that our hearts may be edified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In last Sunday's passage, Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16, the writer of Hebrews heralded Jesus as our great and sympathetic high priest. After dying to atone for our sins, the sinless Jesus rose and passed through not just an earthly curtain of the tabernacle, but the heavenly curtain itself to represent us before the very throne of God. And now in the passage we've just read, the writer of Hebrews begins to explain That not only has Jesus been appointed by God as our final high priest. His perfect sacrifice, Jesus' perfect self-sacrifice has made us right with God forever. Amen. Amen. If you're a note taker, we'll consider this passage under two headings, two points. A little bit longer points actually. Number one, Jesus... Has been appointed by God as our final high priest. I know it'll probably take the rest of our time for you to write that down, but number one, Jesus has been appointed by God as our final high priest. Number two, Jesus' perfect self sacrifice has made us right with God forever. Thinking of Squints from Sandlot. Forever. Have you seen that? (laughs) Sorry. Not in the manuscripts, and I'll probably have to apologize later for that, but uh, I'll repeat those points as we go. (laughs) Number one, Jesus has been appointed by God as our final high priest. (laughs) In verse one, we read, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Now stop right there for a moment. In order to appropriately represent the people before God, the high priest had to be one of the people, right? Makes sense. An angel or an animal could not have represented the people before God any more than an American citizen can represent Brazil before the United Nations. In order to properly mediate for, and relate with the people he was presenting representing the high priest had to be a man from among the people and verses 2 and 3 uh, tell us just how much the high priest was able to relate with the people he represented before God he like they was beset with weakness he like they was a sinner Because of this, the high priest needed to offer sacrifices for his own sin. And doing so, gave him a very compelling reason not to get too puffed up and to deal harshly with the sinful people he ministered to. The ignorant Israelites that verse 2 refers to were those who should have known what God expected of them, but they didn't. I can relate to an ignorant ignorant Israelite. How many of us can? Should have known what God expected of them, but didn't. The wayward Israelites that are referred to in verse 2, were those who did not, or no, were those who did know what God expected of them, but they ignored it. Right? So the, the ignorant, they didn't know what God expected, but they should have. The wayward, and how many of us can relate to this, the wayward were those who did know what God expected of them, but they ignored it. If the high priest... Had have been without his own weaknesses, I suppose he would have been maybe a little bit justified to deal harshly with the Israelites that he represented. But the high priest wasn't without weakness. He wasn't sinless. And therefore, he had no ground for harshness. And I think that that right there should preach to us today. That right there could preach a whole sermon. So let me spend a moment on it by asking you something that I'm asking myself in light of this passage. Are you keenly aware of your own shortcomings and sins and areas for needed growth? If you are not keenly aware of your own weaknesses, you will be overly critical and judgmental and harsh toward the weaknesses of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So will I. But that mindset, that posture of being overly critical and harsh and judgmental toward our brothers and sisters, that posture is antithetical to the gospel we claim to believe. If you believe that Jesus lived the sinless life you have not and rose for your justification after dying as your substitute on the cross, if you believe that good news, it's because God has chosen to reveal that to your heart and you have been saved by the unmerited favor of God. God has adopted you as his own son or daughter not because of your righteous behavior, but because of Jesus's. And no matter how far along you might seem compared to someone else, you are still, and so am I, we are still woefully beset with weaknesses and sins. So, oh, that we would remember, we believers of Christ are all a work in progress. We By the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, we are each being graciously grown up into the perfect righteousness that already covers us by faith in Christ. But we are all at different stages from one another, right, in the sanctification process. Now, we should absolutely urge one another toward holy and righteous conduct. We should absolutely speak truth to one another so that iron may sharpen iron. But we need to humbly seek God's help that we would deal with one another in the same manner that he expected of the ancient high priests. And that we would deal with one another in the manner that we see our great high priest dealing with us. And that is this, in a posture of love and patience and kindness and gentleness. We're all in process. But we're getting there. Even me, which is a miracle. In verse 4, we're told... That the honorable office of high priest wasn't a job that the, the young and ambitious descendants of Levi could submit their application for. <laughs> right? Aaron never submitted a resume for this role, nor was he elected by the people. He was appointed by God himself. And the same is true of every high priest who followed Aaron, including, as we see in verse 5, our great high priest, Jesus. So also Christ, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. Rather, Christ was appointed by the father who said to him, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Not only did Jesus not exalt exalt himself as our high priest, if you read through his life accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus never exalts himself ever at all. In fact, in Philippians 2, we're told that the pre incarnate Son of God did not count his divinity as something to be paraded for honor while on earth. Instead, the second member of the Trinity, high and exalted, the Son of God. When he came incarnate, he came as a servant, meek and mild, gentle and lowly. If you know the Advent story, Jesus came and was born to a poor teenage girl. He was laid in a feeding trough for livestock. He was smuggled to Egypt that he would survive Herod's tyrannical rampage. And then he was raised as a despised Nazarene in the backwoods, disrespected town of Nazareth. Jesus never exalted himself during his earthly ministry. Not once. He only ever exalted his father. And in doing so, it revealed him to be the perfect one to be appointed to the most honorable position as the great and perfect and lasting and final high priest over all God's people from every nation and generation and language of the earth. In the second half of verse 5, The writer of Hebrews quotes from Psalm chapter 2 verse 7 saying that Jesus was appointed as high priest by God the Father who said to him you are my son today I have begotten you. Now this doesn't mean that Jesus was produced or created by the Father. That's not what begotten means. It simply means that Jesus was not adopted. You and I are the adopted sons and daughters of God by faith, but Jesus is the only begotten. And that means that he shares the same divine essence as the Father. He is God. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Theologians call it the hypostatic union, and that will be on our spelling test at the end of this time. No, because of this, because Jesus is fully God and fully man, because of this, he can represent us before the Father as our high priest in a way that no earthly priest could ever have dreamt. Jesus can and does represent us forever. And this is the point that the writer of Hebrews is making in verse 6 when he quotes from Psalm 110. We don't unfortunately have the time to consider the significance of Jesus coming from the order of Melchizedek. Lord willing... In a couple of weeks, when we cover Hebrews chapter 7, we'll have time to take a deep dive into what it means that Jesus came from the order of Melchizedek, who was a Gentile. Whoa, there's some (laughs) curveballs. Lord willing, we'll consider it in a few weeks. But for today, here's what we need to understand. Jesus has been appointed by the Father to be our high priest forever. Unlike Aaron and all the other high priests who died off, death will never end the term that Jesus, our great high priest, is filling. Because Jesus has conquered death by raising to life over it. Death will never end his term as our high priest. If you know in your heart, if you get a sense in your heart that these things are so, they're true. There's there's truth to this. If you get a sense in your heart that God is real and that you don't deserve to be made right with him, but he has made a way for you to be made right with him, and you desire to be made right with him. There is only one mediator between you and God that has made that possible. There is only one truth, one life, and one way through Jesus only through Jesus are you able to be at peace with God and this is something if you're here and you've not responded by confessing with your mouth the belief in your heart that Jesus is the son of God risen after being crucified to pay for your sin and bring you back into right relationship with God with him forever if you're here and you've not ever really believe that I would urge you to do so because you do not want to wait to test out the truthfulness of this there is only one way that you may be right with God for eternity and it's Jesus it's Jesus point number one Jesus has been appointed by God as our final high priest point number two Jesus's perfect self-sacrifice has made us right with God forever. Jesus's perfect self-sacrifice has made us right with God forever. We'll just spend the next couple of hours on this one. (laughs) Totally kidding. Verse 7. In the days of his flesh on earth... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the Father who was able to save him from death. Now again, the accounts of Jesus' life, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they make very clear Jesus was a man of prayer. He was constant in prayer. He not only taught and urged his followers his disciples to pray he constantly prayed for them asking God to reveal and to provide and to heal and to sustain and to bless and to unify them but here in verse 7 the writer of Hebrews is drawing our attention to a prayer that Jesus uttered for himself with loud cries and tears now let me ask you What scene comes to your mind? What scene from Jesus's, from the story of his life, what scene comes to your mind where Jesus cried out with tears to the Father who was able to save him? The Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, He knew that his hour had come to die on the cross. He'd known all along. He'd predestined the pathway. He had willingly, obediently come to earth to lay down his life as the final atoning sacrifice for sin. But the weight, the weight of bearing all the sin of all God's people forever was crushing and the spiritual death never mind just the physical death on the cross the spiritual death of it of having the father look away from him in wrathful disgust as he died on the cross the spiritual death of this led Jesus to a level of anguish that I will never know. And so, under this crushing weight and anguish, the perfect, sinless, obedient, and reverent Jesus cried out to the Father. And because, right there in the garden of Gethsemane, because of Jesus' reverent reliance upon God, the power of the Holy Spirit to continue trudging forward. Because of his reverent reliance, Jesus was given the comforting reminder that he needed. Death wasn't going to have the last word over him. He knew it. But the Father and the Spirit reminded him. Death will not have the last word. And this plays into how and why he is our greater high priest he'd been he'd been appointed to be our high priest forever forever ongoingly right now in flesh and blood we cannot see through the curtain of the heavens but Jesus in resurrected glorified physical body is right now our high priest forever certainly death on the cross would not have the last word Unlike the Levitical high priests before him, death wouldn't have the last word. Unlike the Levitical high priests before him who were beset with their own weaknesses and sins, Jesus, although he was the son, verse eight, Jesus in his incarnation had learned to do what he would have never had learned to do Had he not come to earth, here's what that means. He learned to maintain his perfect obedience to the Father despite being tempted in every way and facing that suffering. And being made perfect in this sense, Jesus has always been and will always be perfect but being tempted and tried and facing the sufferings of humanity. After that, going through that, even sinless, he was made perfect in a sense that he had not formally been made. Verse 9, he became, in doing all of this, the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The blood of bulls and goats could never fully atone for our rebellion against God. One of our own needed to die. In order to fully atone for your sin and mine, only the blood of a perfect human being would suffice because the wages of sin is death. A human cannot fully be atoned by a bull. It doesn't work that way. And so enter the God-man Jesus Christ. And here in, in this whole passage, what we see is a most glorious and profound thing. It should make our hearts sing. It's very theological, and I apologize for that. No, I don't. We see a most glorious and profound thing in this, in, this, in this passage right here. That Jesus is not only the final high priest to represent us before the Father. He's not only that. He is himself the perfect sacrifice that was offered to make us right with God forever. Both and. And because of all of this, there is no additional sacrifice that needs to be made. This was kind of the point of the writer of Hebrews. You know, he, he's, he's writing to Jewish Christians who were returning to the sacrificial system. They were returning to the old covenant. They were starting to, 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 to make sacrifices. No, no, no. Jesus has died. And what's more, he has been raised. And what's more, he as our great high priest is right now sprinkling his blood before the actual throne of God and not the symbol of it behind the temple curtain there is now no additional sacrifice that needs to be made if any one of you is here wondering well okay so what do I need to do now well believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and then tell me that you did and we're going to fill up the baptismal right now there's nothing more that needs to be done It really is that good of news. There is now no additional working or striving or earning because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, who are in Christ by simple yet profound trust. Does this make sense to you? The task of the believer is just to keep believing this. Good fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit will come. Obedience will come. It will. We will be conformed to God's word. Does this make sense to you? Is the Holy Spirit right now inviting your heart to believe this gospel message for the first time or maybe for the 17th time or like me? I I don't know how many times. I want to and I'm believing this again right now. I'm believing it again. Eternal salvation awaits all those who trustingly obey Jesus what we see in this passage Jesus's obedience to the father was Jesus submitting his will to the father's will it's the prayer that he prayed in Gethsemane if this if this cup can pass great If not, if I'm about to experience the physical and spiritual death that we both know is coming and and I will experience it, then your will be done, Father. He submitted himself to the Father. It's the obedience of Christ to the Father and the obedience that we are invited into to submit ourselves under the lordship, the kingship of Jesus. Jesus entrusted himself to the good plan of the Father It wasn't easy right there in that moment in Gethsemane. And a lot of us, we are facing uneasy moments right now. But entrust yourself to the good plan of God who loves you and is working all things according to the power of his will for your good. It will ultimately end in your good. Entrust yourself to him, believer. Admit that you're a sinner and that your only hope in life and death is Christ crucified and resurrected. Just as Jesus entrusted himself to the Father, so we must entrust ourselves to the unfailing mercies of Jesus. Trust Him and obey Him. There really isn't a lot of application step one, two, three, four that you can leave with here today, except this ask God to give your heart trust for the completed work of the final sacrifice and the ongoing mediation of our great high priest. He's there, flesh and blood right now, interceding on your behalf. Do you trust that? He will make you right with God. And for those of us in Christ, he has. So let's pray and give thanks, and then we will continue to sing. Oh, Father, your word is rich. It really is. And we're thankful that we get to dive into it, even for just a few moments here. I pray, Lord, for those who are here who are just sensing in their heart, might not know how to explain it, but they're sensing an invitation to draw near to the throne of grace for salvation today. It's as simple as this. Believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose to save you from your sin. And confess that out loud with your mouth. There's something about, what you know, out of the heart the mouth speaks. Pray, Lord, that you would lead some to do that today. Pray, Lord, that you would lead all of us who have believed that. Oh, sweet mercy to believe it again and again and again. Because Christ, your son, is our only hope in life and death. To him be the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.